Welcome to the Zion Art Podcast, presented by the Zion Art Society, where we interview Latter-day Saint artists, scholars, and collectors. I am your host, Micah Christensen, and this week we interview Megan Geilman, an artist who will have an exhibition opening on May 3rd at Writ and Vision. We sat and talked with Megan about her process and her works, which is unlike anything that we've seen before in our uh, visual culture. Welcome, Megan Gauman, to, to our podcast. I'm very excited. We're, uh, we're excited to come and see your show, which is opening on May 3rd at Red and Vision in Provo. Mm-hmm. It'll be up for about a month, you say? Mm-hmm. And then there are potentially other venues. We'll get to that. We'll talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. But you and I touched bases months ago, mm-hmm. and I had seen your work, um, specifically the work that you had... Um, I want to make sure I get the title right. It's... Um, it's the dollhouse yes. that had shown in Springville Museum of Arts. It was yeah. for their spirituality and religious show, that right? That one was for the 94th. That was for the 94th. So yeah. And it was unlike anything else that was that was in the show. And I, uh, it, it immediately, um, it, it, I, I've, I've wanted to talk to you for a while. Let's just put, let's just put it there. I've wanted to talk to you for a while about your work. Um, you've got a show that you have been thinking of for quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know if you've executed everything that you're eventually going to put into the show. Have you? Yes. It was, I set out a few years ago. I t- decided on 12 pieces. That was okay. going to be the goal. So, I so it's finished. 12 pieces and the title of the show is works of w- translation. Works of translation. Yeah. Tell me about the, the concept. Um, well, the title sort of came from an Adam Miller essay, um, where he talks about... Where did you read it? Tell yeah, us about Adam Miller. Uh, letters, letters to a Young Mormon, Okay. Um, which is fantastic. And he talks about c- sort of consuming scripture and bringing it into our modern day world. And that just struck a chord with me. And um, of course, a work of translation, the... The Book of Mormon and uh, Joseph Smith that that tied into it, and it just it just came to me, and and that was that. And it's funny because I said on my Instagram with that title specifically for the show, and then um, that's all people seem to know me by is my my Instagram title. So I'm probably what is your Instagram w- handle? Works of translation. Works of translation. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking past the show. So what yeah. was? When you say it came to you as you were reading through Adam Miller's write, essay, um, what came to you? Was it imagery? What was it? No, just the title. I thought that work that works. That's exactly what I'm trying to do and what I'm exploring. Um, so, but yeah, a lot of cu- coming to that that phrase is a lot of what my process is. I'll just get these ideas, and so I don't feel like I can take full ownership of them. Um, and I just have this sort of sacred trust with them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just am the facilitator, I feel like. so. What was the first image that you did in the series? It's called Adam's Dilemma. And that was also at the Springville. That was in the Spiritual and Religious show. And that won an award of merit. Um, and it was the first time I had submitted to any of the shows. So it's very exciting. And there are a lot of people who are going to hear that and be angry. I know. I know. I know there's so many talented people. Try for years and years and they never get in. But congratulations. You should be congratulated. (laughs) You shouldn't feel guilty about it. Um, 
I'm, I'm looking at the image I've got in front of me, and those who are interested in seeing it as they're listening along, they can go to zionartsociety.org uh, under the podcast tab and see it. Um, it it's you got to describe. We got to try and do our best to describe this yeah. <laughs> to people. So you've got um, you've got two figures that are in the center. It's a dark, very chiaroscuro, <laughs> 18th century uh-huh. kind of co- high contrast piece, and um, it's called Adam's Dilemma. You've got a man on the left, mm-hmm. woman on the right, uh-huh. and a number of objects surrounding them. Take it from there. Um, yeah. So this moment is supposed to just sort of capture after Eve has partaken of the fruit before Adam has. So he has a choice to make. Does he partake and go with Eve or does he stay in the garden? So everything on his side is very symbolic of the garden. Um, and her side, she's already fallen is sort of the, the potential there and, um, sort of exile a little bit and just there's symbols for religion and science and knowledge and children and all that was possible after the fall. So on a very, um, on a very, just a technical level, not even getting into the interpretation of Mm -hmm. it yet. How do you put this scene together? It's a photograph, but not just a photograph. Yes. So walk us through soup to nuts, how you make an image like this. Um, So the idea comes, say, okay. And this happened, this one, that was my first one I shot five years ago. So my son was not even a year old and he just turned six. So um, it's amazing how you kind of judge your life yes. by those kinds of events, right? Yes. So it's, yeah. <laughs> Every I, one I'll of us should have our own that. BC and AD yes, version, but it's, our, but it's it's those significant moments. In our life. Yeah. So I had the idea and I didn't even have the idea for a show at that time. Um, and I had done this Christmas card of the Christmas before with my family and it was a nativity scene. And I just... It was like, this is crazy, but if I pull this off, I just feel like there's going to be more. So then a few months later, I had had this idea and told my family that. So the model is my sister and her, my brother-in-law. And um, my dad helped set up the camera. And I just took about a day. I built the scene and then I had him sit in it. And Did you do preliminary sketches before? Not for this one. I have for some other ones because I, between the first between Adam's Dilemma and between Jane, there was a two-year gap because I had my daughter. And I real I realized I have very limited creative time. And so where do I want to focus this energy? And my sister, the model, also got into photography and she's fantastic. So um, that was a little... I wasn't sure I was going to market after that, but if I was going to make these images, that was how it was going to get done. So, What's that? How large is it? Uh, it's printed... 24 by 36. Um, yeah. So, to do it really large, though. I think it'd be great. <laughs> when did you start into photography? What's your background in it? And in art um, in general? I've been doing art my oh, whole life. That's, that's Siri. <laughs> I apologize. Go ahead. Um, I've been an artist my whole life, and um, I studied a little bit at the California College of the Arts, and that's where I decided I wanted to go to BYU. And, um, yeah, I studied art education at BYU and I just, I've always felt I was this jack of all master of none. So I really struggled in college trying to find a style 
but it's kind of come in handy now because they have to do so many different things for these pieces. So this wasn't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being hesitant and you got to tell me how hesitant or not hesitant I should be using the word photography because it sounds like you've got a very broad, um, um, art education that isn't just did not. No, I did do darkroom photography, so I feel like I can communicate. Um, but yeah, I, I did drawing and painting most of growing up, and that's when I went to the art school. That's what I focused on. Um, but I kind of got burned out after that, and then I just wanted to try everything, so ceramics, and I did the photography for a little bit. Um, Where did you grow up? San Diego. San Diego. Yeah. San Diego. And an artistic family? Um, yes and no. My grandmother's very creative. And I spent a lot of time with her when I was really young. Um, and my, my sister's a dancer. But I was, the, I was the, the artist growing up. And that's how I was in all my classes. And, um, and then in high school, I really fell in love with art history in high school. Hmm. So I always felt like my art history classes were some of my best art classes. And yeah. That's pretty obvious in the What were you work. drawn to? When well, I look at these images, it. one of the reasons I ask is because I look at mm-hmm. a lot of these images. There, there's a lot of homages to uh, to well-known works of art, mm-hmm. even if there aren't um, clear um, uh, references um, with with particular symbols. And maybe there are, and I'm not just, and I'm not mm-hmm. seeing them. Mm-hmm. There's um, definitely an aesthetic that looks to me like. A lot of old masters, a lot of 16th and 17th century works. All of it. And then I really love 20th century art, actually. Um, what in particular? Oh, Duchamp and, uh, I mean, the Impressionists onward. I, I just love it all. I love So if I were to look history. at your work, if I were to pull out a portfolio from you working <laughs> in in college. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> I didn't make uh, anything good. Yeah. I, ha- I had a meltdown right before graduation. I I think I was talking to Joe Ostroff. I said, I don't know if I'm going to be an artist. He's Joe like, Ostroff, who's a professor at BYU. Yeah, and he was like, yeah, you might not. Huh. <laughs> and so it's been, I've been graduated for about seven years, and I did freelance graphic design um, in those years, which really, with my post-production, I do the post-production on these pieces, and um, that, those skills really come in handy there, so... Well, one of the things that uh, that I guess I'm trying to do, and I and I, I think of, can, I mean, maybe it's anthropologist is the right is the wrong <laughs> word for it. As an anthropologist, that's trying to dig through your past to try and get yeah. to the to to, to uh, the, the the moment that these are realized, is it they feel like such a strong and singular and 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 unified vision that. It, it, it feels in a way, and, and there's nothing, in my opinion, right now happening within the culture that we occupy right now that is anything like them, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm trying to figure out where does that come from? And maybe you don't have an answer. You don't have to force an answer if you don't have one. I have a little, little bit of yeah. an idea. My parents are, my father was um, really into Hugh Nibley. And okay. I grew up, and he would just talk about these parallels between Egyptian funerary rites and temple ordinances, and um, that always stuck. Like I was watching Hercules as a kid, and 
the, the, the 90s uh, yeah, yeah. show. With and he's like, he, your Hercules is becoming a god. And he said, Megan, this is exaltation. This is the endowment. And I'm like, okay, dad. And then my mom is just a very symbolic thinker in that everything can always mean something else. Like we have Del Parsons Christ in our entryway. And I remember she picked out the frame and she specifically got a wood frame and it's kind of a weathered gold frame wood wooden and she said i want people to know you know that he was a carpenter and she was always drawing sort of those parallels so i i think that's come into play a lot in my work so i want to go to to an image that you've got here which Mm is um joseph's book of the dead Mm -hmm. and you have a a joseph smith figure sitting in a chair in 19th century costume Mm -hmm. and he um is Faced in front of him is a jackal Egyptian esque figure. Anubis, right? Anubis. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to. You got to add in these terms. If I, I don't know them. And you have, um, it's it's a, it's such a remarkable image, and I don't know even where to begin with it. And I wonder, um, because you so so if we were to go through it first of all, the Anubis, mm-hmm. um. Reference would seem like to him looking at the Egyptian papyri, and and the symbols. You're kind of nodding your head. What, well, where, what's, what's as you're conceiving this? Is this something that comes together quickly? And tell me what elements came together and and, and, and how. This one came in in parts. More. Okay. Some of them I just get the image and then I have to work to contextualize it afterwards. But this one I knew I wanted to do a Joseph Smith piece in the series. That was important. Okay. And so I was just, uh, just praying, you know, what, what artwork would help me act as a vehicle. That's how I feel, um, to, to explain Joseph Smith and his life and, and who he was. And I think I was at the park with my kids and I just remembered Egyptian and it was like, Oh, of course, because of what my, my dad had been really, um, interested and involved in that. And, just uh, as a hobby. Yeah, he was just okay. like a hobby scholar. I don't, I don't okay. know. He even like came up and studied with Hugh Nibley for a week or so. So it's not a just, casual thing. No, no. He's really, was always really into it. And um, and he's sharing these kinds of things with you on a yeah, regular basis. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're growing up. You're soaking in this atmosphere. Yeah. You're going through Temple in the Cosmos. You're reading all of these books. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Look at the, the farms publications, yeah. the oh, essays one library. by one. It's just You've got farms. there. Okay. Now um, the Maxwell Institute. Yes. Yes. Okay. And um, so I, I, I knew it was Egyptian. So then I started looking at common scenes in the Egyptian artwork and the weighing of the heart ceremony was very common. And you've got a heart in the center with yeah. scales and a feather on the other side. Yes. So uh, Anubis, and he looks kind of, oh, uh, kind of scary, a little liminal. I don't know, but he really he acts as an escort right. for the deceased, and they'll go through different chambers that are often delineated by veils. And um, so this scene, the the heart of the deceased is weighed against the feather of This truth. is a final judgment moment in Egyptian Kinda, ceremonies. Yeah, and if they pass, they'll go to heaven. And if they don't, they'll be, their soul will be consumed by this creature called the destroyer. So it's the head of an alligator, the body of a lion, and the the back of a hippo. So I have, I have those creatures up on the top register. So... Where did you get those objects? And where did you oh. get the nubises? <laughs> I made the... Um, 
mask because I couldn't find anything. I'll try to find what I can. Um, so Etsy and Craigslist are big resources, um, but I couldn't find anything I really liked because I didn't want it to look too costumey. I don't know. So I found this uh, pattern on Etsy. Uh, an artist makes these paper masks, and I uh, I found that one. So I so I made it, and um, I rented the Joseph Smith costume from the Hale Center Theater. And the the alligator head I actually had. I found it at a gas station in Fillmore. I think it's actually a crocodile head, but it's supposed to be an alligator head for the piece. And then the the lion was from my parents' library. I borrowed it because it's one of the New York library, public library lions. And so there's kind of a reference to the center formerly known as the Mormon Art Center and what they're doing in New York. Center for Latter-day Saints. Yes, Arts. now it's the Center for Latter-day Saint Arts. Um, and then the hippo I found at a antique warehouse in Springville. I knew there was going to be a Delft um, I wanted to find a, they're called temple jars, but a lot of people call them ginger jars down in the bottom left. So I wanted to Yeah, the Qing Dynasty baluster yeah. vase with the cover. Yeah. 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 So. And you have above Joseph's head a hat that's turned up, yes. up that upside down, a reference to his process for. Yes. Anthony Sweat pointed out to me that. Only, the, profe- the professor of BYU yes. of art and of religion, right? I think just religion, but he's also an artist, he's an artist and he's right, okay. uh, pointed out that. All, the only references we really have of Joseph translating are with the hat and, you know, how, how prob- that can be problematic with our depictions of what's going on and people don't recognize that. So I, I wanted to include that. And then my sister-in-law, I was babysitting her kids and in their children's dress-up box, they had this hmm. white top hat. So, And I guess Martin Harris called it Joseph's white hat. It was made of beaver skin, I think, so. So I'm looking at this and I'm seeing that the heart and the feather are on an equal level. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, if, if they weren't, I would have thought, okay, there's a commentary here. Yeah. I didn't want to, I wanted to leave that up to the viewer and it's such a, it's such a central aspect of gaining a testimony. You have to gain a testimony of Joseph Smith and hmm. everybody's got an opinion and I, I love Richard Bushman's work, uh, Rough Stone Rolling. So uh, there's a there's a stone at the bottom that is, uh, it's a symbol of Christ, but also, you know, it's a rough stone. So That's the one at the, the base of the chair where he's yeah, sitting on the left-hand left, side. Yeah, left, I think. So. so one of the things I have as a question is, do you have in mind an intended audience when you're making something like this, or are you the audience? Are you making something for you in particular? Or are you making it for hoping that? I think it's a really like it's going the to be scholars in. are really probably. I I really appreciate all the church scholars, and so I guess the dream is to like somehow accompany their work. But um, I mean, the art community, the Utah art community. I've most of these reference you know, iconic pieces, but I have one that is taken from a Minerva Tiger composition. Um, we'll get to that. Hold that thought. Okay. Cause I want to, I want to hear about which one of those it is. So yeah. And then just can, yeah. Contemporary. When I, one of the, uh, one of the reasons I'm asking this is mm-hmm. our previous conversation that we had weeks ago mm-hmm. was about 
a venue in Salt Lake to show these works. And you, yeah. you had a you have a venue in Provo, Written Vision, which does a wonderful job. I think and, it's a really good fit. <laughs> and uh, and he's and uh, he's very thought. They're very thoughtful down there about what they do, and um, and can present things that are deep and thoughtful with what I feel like is the respect they deserve, right? And we are now at this part in our artistic community here locally and potentially nationally where I think it's undisputed we have a huge number of of Latter-day Saint artists who are creating a great body of work, deep work. Your work is is uh, just is a further evidence of of a diversification and depth that's going on. And one of the questions that I've had and that this podcast is is uh, dedicated to addressing is how it's received and where it's received and where it's shown. And I want to kind of pick your thoughts on that for a moment of as you are hoping to show this work that you've spent years working on, five years from the original image, now that you've, you've created 12 works, you're at this point, um, and you have to make this decision of, I'm going to show these 12 works. <laughs> Tell me about that process of finding written vision and what you're going through now to try and find another location. Wow. Well, I, I guess I want to go back to the Springville Museum because it's been such a good fit. Because how how many places are there showing contemporary non-deconstructivist art in the United States? I don't think there's a lot, but that's specifically what they do and. Uh, and and with a lot of spiritual work, so yeah, they take I, on all comers. Yeah, and I started this series in California, and there was nobody to show it there, and we happened to move to Utah for uh, my husband's job, and I was like, oh, there there might be an audience here, and um, so actually it was uh, sort of divine interventions. I I feel like. Um, my old roommate and a cousin of Paige Anderson's somehow connected up and she uh, set up a lunch with Paige Anderson. I, I just loved her work. And yeah, and we've interviewed her before, yes. Paige, who's, who who's, uh, does um, geometric works yeah. that are There's loosely inspired by, uh, by, by, by quilt work, but that doesn't yeah. do it justice. That's a really oh, yeah. reductive summary. I love, I love, well, I'm a young mother, so yeah. or I'm a mother with young children. <laughs> Um, and so she came, she came down and had lunch with me and I showed her what I was doing. And she was the one that suggested submitting to the spiritual and religious show. And I knew about the spring salon, but I didn't know about the spiritual and religious stuff. So I was just so grateful for her and she was very enthusiastic. And she was the one that suggested meeting with Laura Hurtado who months, months later, I looked at my notes and I said a prayer. I said, Emily, I don't know how I'm going to meet with this woman. And then I kid you not the next week, my husband, I hadn't told my husband about her name or anything. And he had set up a meeting with her for our anniversary. It's a gift. And she was great. And it's a great gift. Yeah. It's it a thoughtful was, gift. it was so great. He worked, my brother-in-law works at the church headquarters and knew it's her. better than a, than like a AirPods oh. or something. Yeah. No, it was like, <laughs> I just was so amazed. So I, I uh, met with her and, um, she also encouraged me to submit to that. So, um, yeah, the Springville museum and then written vision I was following before I ever knew I'd moved to Utah and I loved what they were doing community wise. 
And if they hosted an artist, I said, oh, I got to I got to look them up. I got to follow them. So I actually approached Brad about collecting first because that's something I want to do. And then. Um, and Brad is the owner. Yeah. Brad Kramer. Brad Kramer of, and, of um, uh, Laura had actually given me, she thought I needed to shoot these myself or it needed to be a collaborative team with my sister. And I talked to my sister about it for, and she was like, this doesn't feel like a collaboration. You know, you have a vision and I just come and shoot it. So I wasn't sure what to do. And I put my kids in the stroller and I said, okay, I'm going to go if it's open. Cause this was just on a random Thursday morning or something. I said, if it's open, I'm going to talk to Brad. Um, see what he says. And it happened to be, oh, he happened to be there, which they have odd, you know, there's no regular hours. So I went in and he, he was showing some work to some patrons and he came over and I showed him and he's like, I think, I think you can, you don't, you don't need to, um, I think it can work if you have the copyright and if you give a photography credit, I think you can be the artist and, and I don't, and that's how it's been. And I don't think it's hurt me. So it was scary because Laura obviously knows what she's talking about. And um, so, but it wasn't until a year later, uh, I approached Brad about showing and he actually said that Lane Twitchell had contacted him about my work, which kind of blew me away. Um, Give context on who Lane Twitchell is. Uh, he is a, an artist. He was kind of big in the late 80s, I think. And Brad's shown his work. That was probably yeah. one of the biggest shows. And that's how I found Lane's work. And I followed him on Instagram. And I think that's how he found my work. Um, he does these manda large mandala paper cuttings. They're beautiful. And... Um, so yeah. it seemed like there's this this natural progress that most artists would right. take. If if you had lived in a very healthy marketplace, what you uh -huh. would do is you'd probably come from particular art school. Uh -huh. You would um, go through the gallery system. Um, you would have a portfolio of pieces to show people. And you've kind of short-circuited that a little bit because you had the concepts. Uh -huh. You're working in collaboration with a photographer. Uh -huh. And um, you put your works online. Insta like and, on, and Instagram and Instagram seems to be a huge part of how artists are functioning, not just in our community, yeah. but more broadly speaking. Yeah. Are you selling works through Instagram? Has that become a thing? Yeah, I've sold some prints. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have a strong strategy for that. I mean, I'm doing such a niche thing and yeah. I know there's two veins. You can kind of go gallery or museum. And I've always kind of seen myself more as a museum artist because yeah i don't know if that necessarily applies to to this community i'm not sure i don't know i think it's <laughs> i think that does apply to a lot of contemporary artists in general that question let's talk about another work of art okay. um you had you'd said that um there was a work that was partially inspired by minerva teichert composition yes which one was that it's called queen of the south okay and um, it shows a woman, and she is veiled, and she has she's wearing the hoshin, and she has a a white and a black rock. And the hoshin is the twelve tribes of Israel. Yes, the breastplate. That's right. Uh, I've also heard the word ephod. Yes, I thought that's what it was called. But, but the not? ephod is the cloth behind it. Okay, so the so okay, that's they were usually worn together. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't was, know that. That's really helpful. <laughs> I was reading The Alchemist, actually, 
And um, there's a the character Melchizedek in The Alchemist, and it was just like, whoa, I, I know who that is. And uh, he carried a Urim and Thummim, which is, you know, central to our origins. And um, I was also reading my scriptures and came across this verse in the New Testament where Christ talks about the queen of the South will rise up and judge this generation. I was like, I'd never noticed it before. I said, who is this woman with, you know. And what did you come to as your as your conclusion or interpretation? I did. A, I, well, I did a little research. And apparently she was, uh, he was talking about the queen of Sheba who went to King Solomon mm-hmm. with her to see how wise he was. And what this piece came out to mean, and a lot of these pieces I went through a really um, interesting like, spiritual phase when I was pregnant with my son. Right. We moved and I suddenly had all this time because I wasn't going to get a job, you know, um, and I was going to have this baby soon. So I, I felt impressed to study and I just read and and specifically study, uh, sort of, uh, the messy parts of the gospel. So, and this was a few years ago. You don't seem like someone who's directly trying to court controversy in your work. No, I. So when you talk about the messy parts of the gospel. Yeah. So feminist, uh, this was back when I feel like there was this sort of like feminist spring and Nyland, Nyland McBain was speaking a lot and she wrote, wrote women at church, which I loved. And, um, that was really interesting because, um, I felt impressed to study sort of these messy aspects of the gospel and that intimidated me a little bit. I, I'd never been adverse to it, but I didn't want it, you know, affecting my testimony, Right. which I don't feel it did really the, the reaction at the time when I would try to talk to other people about it sometimes was difficult, but all of these pieces kind of have come out of that study period Hmm. and exploration. And so this piece specifically is about sort of the questions that remain about female priesthood and what does that look like? Because you you almost never see someone you, I've never uh seen a woman wearing the, uh, and I was worried. What's, what's the word again? Hoshin. The Hoshin. Yeah. I've never seen a woman wearing the Hoshin. Yeah. So when I, when I, when I saw this image, I thought, Oh, I wonder, I wonder if this is a women in the priesthood. Um, yeah, and I didn't want to be disrespectful, you know, to the Jewish faith. So I, I, I tried to research as best I could. They have necklaces they sell online for women right. with the Hoshin. So I figured probably okay. Now you're going to be <laughs> opening up a show on May 3rd. Yes. And when you have this show and you're talking with people about the pieces, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, I, and I'm... I guess we could have interviewed you after the fact, but it, to me, it's just as valuable <laughs> having a conversation before you do, mm-hmm. because it comes down to a question that I think a lot of artists have to ask themselves, which is, how much am I going to tell people about what is in here versus letting them have their own interpretation? Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a right answer. It has to do, I think, with some people when they're looking at art want to be told everything about mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. Some people don't want to know at all what the artists will use in this this very uh, this art historical term the intentional effects of the artists are uh-huh. right, uh-huh. and you have some very clear object 
reasons. When you made this ocean, you made the ocean. Yes, I did. Okay. I did make that. I it's, couldn't find what I was looking for. And you even <laughs> picked you, you picked the different jewels and the, yeah. the you had the colors no, and everything. Yeah, there, there's no like they're not sure exactly what the colors were, so I had to kind of just do the best I could. But and, and and there's a lot of meticulous work in the details of this. If someone came to you and said, "This is definitely what this painting's about." I might say yes or maybe or I've actually really enjoyed when people come and I yeah. I feel like they add to it. Is there a, a lively debate online whenever you post one? Um, I don't know if there's a debate, but um, I think people appreciate how <clears throat> open I am and trying to explain what I'm doing. And that that's part of the art art educator in me. I just I want this didactic quality. I want to be very transparent. Um, but I'm not limit. It's a, I am not limiting to just what I think it is. I definitely think there's plenty, especially because when I get the ideas, I often am not entirely sure what they do mean. And I just kind of am contextualizing it after the fact. Is that part of this idea that you feel like, you know, you're, you're what, what you were uh, describing is kind of a uh, viaduct isn't the right word I'm looking for, a vessel for a lot of these ideas. You said you started off the like discussion a, a by saying <laughs> a facilitator. That's the better word for it. Yeah. For some of these these ideas. Yeah. So even to you, you're surprised on some level as to what ends up happening. Yeah. How messy and creative is the actual photography section itself when it is oh. when it happens? And then how much work is done after to manipulate it? I plan I it takes about four to six months for each piece. So I plan okay. out every detail beforehand and where do you do them i've most of them have been shot in my parents garage in california so after we moved i would fly down there or i have rented a uh my i borrow a lot of my i mine my parents house for a lot of objects or a lot of interesting things and my sister my photographer is down there does it have something to do with the fact that a lot of these symbols these these objects that are in there are things you grew up with and have been kind of endowed with meaning as a result of that I don't well and then I as it's gone on I've rented things um I you know I purchase and ship there but a couple I mean a, uh Joseph's book of the dead was actually shot in Provo at Justin Hackworth studio because the gray of his wall was the same gray I had in my head so he was when I called him he was describing the light that come in and I said actually we're shooting at night I just need your wall <laughs> and it was a it was a rentable space because I needed a, a large space and the one the dollhouse was shot in my uncle's suit he's a photographer so are you kind of a movie director as these things are <laughs> happening where you show up and say okay everybody get in these positions do you give instructions to the models as you're going through this what do yes. you do? how do you, how does that work and that's I've kind of come to look at them because they're part installation part photography part digital composition I think is what they're finally marketed as but um yeah it's like a single shot movie or like a a play that's just that's it and do you tell everyone all as they're working on it what the interpretation is a little or bit you, or do you but kind of leave I don't it know as, yet. hey this is what I'm doing <laughs> I don't need to talk it through really cuz I've got it worked out my family has been so wonderful so almost all of them are family members and they just let me do my thing <laughs> do you do multiple versions of the same image as you're working on it, or is it already defined it's before it gets pretty, there? It takes about a day and a half to set up the scene, and then the sh- actual shoot is less than 30 minutes, like sometimes even five minutes, because it's just that. Okay. So. 
Have you ever thought about doing a kind of uh, um, tableau vivant? That's what it's in my essay that Rosalind Welsh wrote. She kind of described that as it. And I, I am doing an installation later this year. I'm, I'm actually doing a video art piece this. I'm shooting this Saturday for the Center for Latter-day Saint Arts uh, in collaboration with Paige Turner mm-hmm. um, and and uh, Samantha Zauscher, my photographer. She's she's we're all going down to Spring City or Paige isn't out here, but um, I'm kind of I'm kind of branching out a little. Where do you see yourself five years from now? Oh, with this. That's a good. I don't. I'm not entirely sure, but I've always. I, so I went to BYU um, almost on a whim, and I didn't know anything about the art program. And um, you joined the studio program. I was in art education. Art education. But I I didn't know anything about the art program, and they were doing a show there in 2004 called Metaphorically Speaking. And I walked in, and there was an installation piece at the front by, I wrote down, Galen Bell Smith called Embrace. And it was this nail hung over a post with uh, rocks and then broken glass, sort of like an impact crater, like a in a circle. And I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is, and that was the first time I saw Ron Richmond's work. And I looked at it and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do contemporary art with the church. And um, so it was, I just kind of went from there, even though I, you know, it's been 10 years later that I feel like it's finally coalescing into something. So five years from now, you're not entirely sure. I don't, I don't know, but I want to keep doing, keep, keep exploring. So. I know that you're just the, the opening of this show and each one of them takes months, years to get to the point. Two months post-production. Where they're done is. Is uh, and and I'm I'm not trying to move off from what you've been doing now, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I, I guess I'm 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 asking the question of you've done this series and and uh, are you going to keep retooling and rethinking about these same themes? Or are you ready to move on? I don't know if I want to move on from the themes, but I don't I don't know that. This feels sort of self-contained in that I don't know that I'm going to keep doing these sort of production pieces like this. I might. I'm having a, my third child in July, so I'm kind of giving myself some space there. And I trust that the creative process that led me here is going to continue. At least I hope so. Yeah. I've tried to honor it and, you know, fulfill those It's promptings. To me, it seems like an enormous leap of faith in a way that... Um, some people have almost like a marketing plan, how their what their career is going to look like, right? Got to get into these galleries and then I can produce this many paintings a month. And if I can sell this percentage of those paintings, yeah. and then my goal is to get into, to raise my prices by this much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a very practical discussion. I've, right? I've some, I've some goals that, I mean, the church, um, international <clears throat> show since I was 10 been wanting and I, did submit this year. I didn't get it. I thought I'd be really bummed about it, but I was just so happy that I had something I felt that I could submit. And then I feel like the ne- in three years, the next time it comes around, I'll be able to actually make something specific because I just, I pulled the one from my series that worked with the theme and it didn't get in. And um, yeah, I was, I'm just. Even as you're yeah. talking, I'm thinking to myself, 
if you get into the international church show, <laughs> where does that, where does that, that, that lead? It's, I, yeah. and it's, it's not a, it's, it's, it's just an interesting question because it, it speaks generally to the, the ecosystem that we have, yeah. right? It yeah. speaks yeah. to That's the question of, the of pinnacle of what you've <laughs> got. Um, and we've talked about this before in the podcast. If you're talking about a healthy artistic ecosystem, mm-hmm. you've got people making art, you've got people buying and selling it, selling and buying it. Mm-hmm. You've got people talking, talking about, about it. it. And you've got a destination where it's yes. canonized, like a museum. And we right? definitely need more destinations. Well, and I, I, what I, okay, what I really, one of my big goals is to bring um, a seat to the table in contemporary art of organized religion, religious artists, because I think there's a lot of spirituality in contemporary art, uh, but there's a lot of secularism, and I think with this post postmodern world that. I think we're at a place where we could have that. And I think we have enough talent here in the, ch- in the church and in Utah to eventually move out of the state. And I think we're trying to do that with the Latter-day Art Center. And I think we'll get there. You know, I think we're just starting. Interesting. So, like, so I want, I definitely want to help in that effort. I want to, I decided on my mission. I was served in, in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, art became a real refuge for me. And I just, I just, I, re- I didn't even remember this, but I was rereading my mission journals that I wanted to bring um, religion to the contemporary art world. So that's, that's way long, I guess. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but. Well, you know. and it's a gradual process, <laughs> yeah. right? Gonna it's a gradual it process. Before we end, let's mm-hmm. let's uh, just repeat for those who are listening where they can see the work, how long it's going to be up, and are you going to be spe- Are you going to be there for the opening? Uh, I am. Okay, so it opens no. on May third. A written vision ga- in Provo yeah. on Center Street. Gallery stroll first Friday, May third. Written vision, and I don't think you will be the heavily pregnant one. Yes, thirty weeks. <laughs> I'll be very pregnant, and probably sitting down. Okay, you should. <laughs> yeah. You should. No matter how adoring the crowds are, pace yourself. Oh, but I'll be giving out hugs, free hugs. And, um, and and they'll have an opportunity to read a wonderful essay that was written. Yes. Along with uh, with the catalog that will be there at the show. Yeah. And for those who are listening, because this will come out before before um, the, the show opens and without there being a, a venue, potentially, for the... Or it will be coming out right as the show opens. Um uh, but without a venue elsewhere other than Radio I know, Vision. I do want to tour it because it took the, so long. keep the news going. So if some of <laughs> yeah. you do have ideas of where the show would come, I would encourage <laughs> I would encourage uh, people to go to your Let website. Yeah, worksoftranslation.com. To... I'm going to submit to the, there's a Museum of Contemporary Religious Art in Missouri, actually, in my mission. Which is non-denominational. No, yeah. So I'm going to, and Rosalind Welsh is out in St. Louis, and she writes for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. So I'm going to submit there, and we'll see. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Megan Gallman, for sitting down and talking with us. (laughs) And uh, it sounds like you are at the cusp of some very interesting... Interesting events, and uh, we look forward to seeing big things from you. We already have seen big things, but uh, (laughs) uh, we're looking forward to seeing more. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
I would like to thank Megan Gallman for joining us for this episode of the Zion Art Podcast. And as always, to our producer, Eric Biggert. You can find out more about Megan Gallman and about past episodes of the Zion Art Podcast on our website, zionartsociety.org, under the podcast tab or on iTunes. This is Micah Christensen. Thank you for listening. Thank you.